Hey guys, this is our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you found us. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about following Jesus, loving God, and serving one another. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com or check out the Clemson Foothills Church YouTube channel. We love learning what God says to us in His Word, and we hope this podcast helps you to do that as well. With all that said, let's dive into the episode for this week. is doing great. It's May. Man, what a month we just went through, right? It's been a couple months, I suppose, but the month of April has been crazy. We are in May for uh, all the Star Wars fans out there. Tomorrow is a special day, May the 4th, right? May the 4th be with you. We have Cinco de Mayo coming up. Man, there's a bunch of things coming up. I want to congratulate our graduates, um, Aaron and Kim, who are graduating from Clemson University. Uh, Congratulations to you guys. I know that's a huge deal. Um, Love them, and uh, I know the future is going to be spectacular uh, for those ladies. Had a great um, quarantine story yesterday. Um, We found a possum with its head stuck in my chicken coop. And so this was like, I don't know, seven o'clock in the evening. The kids are going crazy. There's this wild animal like scaring my chickens and possums are nasty little creatures. I mean, they're, it's gross, right? And his hands were like this big. He had these claws, like bear claws, trying to get after the chicken. And so, you know, me and Tyler had to run to the rescue of the chickens. And so, um, you know, needless to say, we're good. The possum now is underneath my recycling bin behind the chicken coop awaiting extradition to another part of the forest. So uh, good luck to that little fella. Um, Again, I don't know. Um, Hey man, possum slayer. That's all we got to say about that. Possum slayer. Um, so anyway, we are back to, uh, Ruth, book of Ruth. If you are just joining us for the first time, uh, you can go back and listen, uh, to our previous lessons. We're really methodically going through, uh, the four chapters of Ruth. We won't go back and rehash every part of this, but you can, you can go back and listen to that. We're in Ruth chapter three. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there to Ruth chapter 3, Old Testament, real close to the front of your Bible. So if you get to the book of Joshua, then Judges, you'll see Ruth right after that. We're going to start reading here in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. And this is what's written. Okay, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find security for you so that you'll be taken care of? Isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening he'll be uh, this evening he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on some perfume, wear your best clothes, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying, go in and uncover his feet and lie down. 
Then he'll explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I'll do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor. She did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. Then she went in secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he said, Who are you? She said, I'm Ruth, your slave. Spread your cloak over me, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it's true that I'm a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. And Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into it. And she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything Boaz had done for her. She said, he gave me these six six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. So uh, there we are, chapter three. Hopefully as we're moving through this book, uh, you are seeing the big picture, okay? What's really difficult is if you're getting a chunk of this like every week and then you're leaving it for seven days, okay? That, that becomes very difficult. Um, hopefully you've been rereading this story of Ruth and rereading the previous chapters and rereading through this book so you're getting an idea of what the big picture is here, right? Um, because here's what can be a little bit frustrating. There are an awful lot of books in the Bible that don't give us any commands. They, they don't tell us to do anything. And that makes me and you sometimes really, really uncomfortable because we oftentimes are so drawn to be told what to do. We're, we're drawn, to, uh, really, we just want, just God, just tell us what you want us to do. And it's very interesting as we read historical narrative, there isn't a command but that doesn't mean it's not meant to inspire us and encourage us and to show us um, how to follow God, right? And so, um, you know, as we, as we read this, I hope as you meet, you know, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, um, one of the things um, that we should be humbly reading, and there should be a higher calling, right? Not to be like them. We don't want to be Boaz and we don't want to be Ruth, but we're seeing godly people. And um, there's something about having like a higher calling to God, okay? Hopefully everything we read, we're remembering, man, this is pointing us towards our Father in heaven. This is pointing us towards His majesty and His greatness. And, and, and I think if we miss that, 
um, this becomes just an exercise in futility of this kind of love story between a foreigner and an older man, and it's really kind of all taken out of context, and we can walk away from the book of Ruth and not be in awe of God. So we have to remember um, that's where we want our minds to really be locked in on, okay? Um, and there really can't be a good reading of this book without us remembering the last verse, the ending of the previous book, okay? That previous book of Judges, okay? Um, it, we, we can't get the idea of what we're facing here until we read that last verse, Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever he wanted, okay? And so I want you to imagine what society would look like, right? Um, there's no king. And understand, he's not talking about society in general. He's talking about God's people, okay? Can you imagine the chaos? Can you imagine just the, uh, just the, the lifestyle and the relationships in a group of people who are saying, we just do whatever we want? Okay, well, here's the deal. It shouldn't really be hard for us to imagine that, okay? That's today for us. Okay, and again, not us in general. I think there is a generalization of looking at American Christianity like as a whole and saying, wow, you know what? It looks like it looks like a bunch of people doing whatever they want. Okay, but let's bring it into the confines of our own walls. Okay, and and I want you to just think about this and, and point the mirror, like look into the mirror at this. And could you honestly say, no, I don't do whatever I want. I have a king. He governs my life. He governs how I live and how I love people, okay? This is, this is a really, really, really um, specific message here, okay? And so we can't read Ruth without keeping in mind this idea of Israel didn't have a king. There was nobody. People were just um, surrendering to them. Selves. Everyone was out for number one, okay? Um, and so we're going to dig into a few things here. Um, and uh, so jump back to Ruth chapter 3, okay? And here's what's interesting, all right? Um, I want you to jump down to verse 11, okay? Because we're going to look through the lens of verse 11 here uh, because we've been given some information. Romans, I mean, Ruth chapter 3, verse 11 Boaz says, now, don't be afraid, my daughter. I'll do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character, okay? Hopefully, you're reminded of one chapter back, okay? Um, back in uh, Ruth chapter 2, in verse 1, it said Boaz was a prominent man of noble character, Okay, and these are the things, I, boy, I hope we don't speed through these. And I don't even mean in this lesson today. I mean in life in general, okay, is this idea of what did it mean to have noble character? What, what was that all about, okay? Um, keep in mind, right, um, Boaz was a man of noble character. He was a prominent man, okay? Um, now we see Ruth a woman of noble character, but she's not prominent. She's a foreigner. She's a widow, right? I mean, they come from two sides of the track. I mean, they come from different places, but they share one thing in common. They are people of noble character. And hopefully 
you know, as we think about this, that's a question that, that we've got to ask ourselves. Would I be categorized like this? Would I, is this something that's real about who I am on the inside, a person of noble character? It's, it's interesting. Just a little side note here, okay, um, is that, um, you know, one of the great things about this book of Ruth um, is if you ever doubt God's power and his plan and his sovereignty, you read, if all you did was read this book, you would go, wow, this is amazing that God's plan can be brought through from people from different countries, foreigners, prominent people, poor people, widows, all of these are, are brought together into God's plan, okay? So if nothing else, you know, when we're thinking about God, our Father, um, if there's anything that reminds us, God, you can do anything. Like, I just see this. I see you bringing this Moabite young lady, and you have this older guy who's a prominent man of noble character, and you're bringing them together. And why I think that's important is because, again, in our day of everyone doing whatever they wanted— and whatever they want, what ends up happening is, is we compartmentalize portions of life that are outside of being faithful, right? And so, you know, immediately one of the things that came to my mind is just our pursuit in today's world and in the church um, for a spouse, right? For a mate to find somebody. And, and that pursuit that can be spoken of spiritually but really outside the realm of faith. It's, we so often want to take it into our own hands and do whatever we want, okay? And the sad part about that is, uh, you know, it makes me sad to think of the number of people who've given up their faith because they've been upset because God hasn't given them what they think they deserve or need or something like that. And when you look at this right here with Boaz and Ruth, you're going, wow, man. I mean, God didn't need a dating app. God didn't need, like, you know, the internet, God didn't need to use, like he just used people of noble character from different countries that ended up in Bethlehem together, okay? So this is amazing stuff right here, okay? Um, let's define something though as well here in, in uh, Ruth, uh, in the third chapter, um, verse nine or so, uh, Ruth answers Boaz. He says, she says, I'm your slave. Spread your cloak over me for you're a family redeemer. Okay, so here's the interesting thing. That's, that's not normal for us to have a redeemer, okay? Um, so um, the way God had set things up was if, um, if a man died, his closest male relative um, like in oftentimes it would be a brother, his closest male relative within Mary, the widow, right? And all of the children she would have would still carry the name of her husband, okay? And so this was, this was in effect to preserve the history and the lineage of God's people. There was this really, you know, this great idea of this redeemer, this protector, this rescuer, okay? And, and, and so um, as we read about this, is this is what Naomi is telling Ruth is Boaz is the redeemer. He's the next, he's the next in line, okay? He's Elimelech's relative, and so he's your redeemer. And in fact, as we read chapter 3, the big picture here is Naomi encourages Ruth, hey, go, go to Boaz and essentially uh, propose marriage 
which, which is what she does, okay? She lays down, and there's all kinds of cultural things that, that, that are all kind of strange to our ears. I know there's, you know, a lot of times we get so off track on what did it mean for her to uncover his feet, and did that mean something sexual, and all of these. Here's what we do know, um, regardless of our understanding of some of these things, is that you had two righteous people, okay? Two people of noble character, all right? And so the lesson we take from this is that she went and proposed marriage to Boaz, and you had Boaz going, listen, I'm going to take care of things on this end, okay? I'm going to make sure um, that we get this right so you're taken care of, okay? Um, So anyway, it's interesting here. Um, a, A couple things that we begin to see, all right? We start to see in the character of Ruth and in the character of Boaz. Okay, so um, let's let's look up here. Um, uh, we'll look at um, verse five. Okay, so after after Naomi told Ruth, listen, here's what you should do. Okay, is Boaz is going to be in his threshing floor. He's keeping an eye on the barley. He's going to be sleeping. Here's what I want you to do. Verse 5, Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. Okay. So the lesson isn't about how we can find that person in our lives and say, I'll do whatever you say. Okay. Um, what this is meant to point us to as readers after this period of time, knowing that King David comes from her lineage, what this is meant for us to see is, wow, this is parallel to us and Jesus. This is parallel to a disciple and Jesus. I will do whatever you say. Okay, and I think that's where we've got to go. This is such contrast to Israel, as we read in Judges, that did whatever they wanted whatever seemed right, okay? So you see the contrast here? And I think when we see the contrast, we've got to look and go, hold on a minute. Um, Ruth is being highlighted for a reason because she was somebody that understood this concept. Now, to her, her, her introduction here to Yahweh and Israel was through Naomi. And if you remember in chapter one, this is what Ruth said. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people and I'll do I will walk in the ways of Yahweh, okay? And so we have this right here, and we can't let this little segment go without spending some time when Ruth said, I will do everything you say, okay? And we just live in such a different world because, you know, you look at it as, um, you know, Naomi's giving her advice on like, hey, go down to the threshing floor, put some perfume on, smell good, look good, go down there, do all these things. Um, we live in a, in a, in a time where we're kind of like, well, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm going to do it my way and all these kind of things. So, um, you have this, um, and here's what's interesting. Um, when we go back and we see these are two people of noble character, I think it's really, um, worth understanding, um, that term noble character, um, really means moral strength. Okay. There was a strength in their morality, in their decision-making. They were strong people. And so how do we know? How is that kind of presented through this chapter here? And, And we see it really presented through the whole book in a couple of different ways. One, 
we really do need to take some time in our own life to think about is um, there was an expression by both Boaz and Ruth of loyalty. Okay. Really got to think about this. This is a big, big deal because we do. We live in unloyal times. And again, isn't it easy? We could go really off the tracks with this book if we made it about people. Okay, we could go off the tracks if we if we took a book like Ruth lessons and saying uh, made it about people and loyalty to people and, um, you know, just humanistically doing what people ask us to do. And we have to zoom back out and see, no, 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 we're supposed to keep in mind that this is what it means to be a man or a woman of noble character in front of God. Okay, is this idea of I'll do whatever you say. And this concept of loyalty, this concept of being with you, okay? So you look at this as how did, how did Ruth express her loyalty? Well, we just read about that. This idea of with Naomi, she's saying, I'll do whatever you say. I'm, I'm loyal to you. I'm absolutely loyal to you. Um, my life is not about me anymore, right? Um, so... Again, as we're reading this, simple book. It really is a simple book. I think as we read the book really just simply, I think we have to continue to ask ourselves questions about us, right? Um, I think we have to ask ourselves questions about, man, has my relationship with God uh, become one where loyalty doesn't even matter anymore, Um, where um, it's just okay to be disloyal to God, okay? Um, And so... um, so we've got to, man, as we read this, we've got to be asking ourselves these questions. You know, you look at how did Boaz express his loyalty to God? Okay. How did he do that? All right. Well, we've, we've already seen a couple of instances where um, Boaz, when Ruth came into his field, okay, Boaz took care of her. Boaz made sure, well, why did he do that? Because he was loyal to God. He was loyal to God. He was, he was about God, not himself. He was about um, following the Father. He was about those things. And I think if we're saying, man, I follow Jesus and I'm a Christian and all of these things, but there's not an ounce of loyalty of like, no, you're first. You're ahead of me. All right. And so what did he do? He took care of this girl who was a foreigner, but not just that. She was an enemy to Israel. I mean, Moab and Israel did not necessarily get along very well. Okay. Um, So many practicals for our life today. Um, But I think you look at you look at Boaz and how did he express his loyalty to God? Um, He understood how God wanted people treated. He understood how God had treated him. And he followed God. So he took care of, um, he, he's taking care of this young lady and even agreeing to being the family redeemer. Even, you didn't have to do that, okay? You didn't have to say, yeah, I will now be the redeemer for your family. You didn't have to do it. But again, who was Boaz loyal to? He was loyal to God because he understood this is how it works in his kingdom. All right, this is it's different than the rest of the world, okay? And so you have this idea of loyalty, but there's something that's really the, the other side of the same coin. Um, what comes with loyalty is sacrifice, okay? Now, 
One of the things that could be happening in your mind right now is, is going, no, 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 no. We're not just supposed to be loyal and sacrificial. We're not supposed to do that. This is about something. No, 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 no. We just can't behave differently. We just can't act in a certain way. And understand, that's not what I'm asking. That's not what the Bible's asking of us. We're seeing um, particularly a man, Boaz, who is in love with, enamored by, loyal to God because he knows who he is, okay? You have Ruth, who's seen, who's learning about God, who's seen Naomi's expression of God, okay? Um, And so in no way are we meant to just have this, like, unemotional, unfeeling, dry connection of loyalty and sacrifice and all of these. That's not it at all. In fact, we're supposed to be seeing, because God is such good news, you see loyalty and sacrifice being uh, being acted out, okay? So here's the interesting thing about sacrifice. Again, if you can imagine what a community of people looks like who refuse to be sacrificial, um, we don't have to think too far, right? We live in that world today. We live in that. That's the, that's the very nature of ourselves is why would I sacrifice me? Why would I give up anything for anyone unless I'm going to get something from that, right? Um, and so we learn here and we learn through the Bible. Decisions are costly. Every decision is costly. At some point, um, it's going to cost us something. A bad decision will cost us and a good decision costs something as well. What, what, you know, what, what were those costs? You know, let's again kind of take a look at, at Ruth. Um, in order to follow Yahweh, what did it cost her? Well, her family, like her mom and dad, were in Moab. It, it potentially um, certainly left up in the air any kind of security she may have of remarriage. Okay, I mean, could you imagine being a young Moabite woman and thinking, yeah, I'm going to go and find this great, like, um, Israelite to marry me? Uh, no, you would do what your sister-in-law did, Orpah, who just, she went home to her family, okay? So you have this sacrificiality of Ruth leaving her future. Um, what was Boaz's expression of sacrificiality? We saw that right from the beginning, right? Um, when, when Ruth came into the field, um, Boaz is like, here, take take the edges of my field. Go ahead, because Boaz understood that God told them, listen, you don't take the gleanings. You don't go and take the fruit off of the edges of your field. You leave them for the poor and the foreigner. And you don't go back over it a second time. And you don't, if you drop something on the ground, you don't go back and get it. You leave it for the poor and the foreigner. Okay? And so there was a sacrifice for Boaz because not only was he following God, um, but also, even at dinner time in Ruth chapter two, even at dinner time, he kept giving her more and more. Okay, um, and oftentimes it's very easy to think, well, was that really even sacrificial? Well, of course it is. That was his livelihood. Okay, this was the equivalent of our income. This is what you lived on. Was he was growing um, a a crop that he could sell, that he could use to eat. Um, so. Really, in context, for us to think about, you know, that that paycheck, that money, that bank account that we have, all right, Um, if God said, hey, leave the edges be, 
It's for the poor and the foreigner, okay? And hey, listen, don't go go back all the way through all of your money and all of your investments and all of your things to like recoup every last penny to be used on you. Think about giving it to others. This is a cost, right? And it's fascinating to me we're losing this as a people. Um, we're slowly but surely losing this through the philosophy of we better take care of ourselves financially. We better be wise financially. For Boaz, this was not wise. God was not giving him wise business advice to say, no, just leave some of your produce out there for the poor and the foreigner. Okay, not, not at all. So, you know, you look at this with, with Boaz, I think that's a significant challenge to us today. Has, has there been any sacrifice from us as we follow Jesus? Does following Jesus, does it cost us anything, all right? So just think in the last week or two, last month, the course of your life as a disciple, you know, has following Jesus cost you any relationships? Not that you just have to get rid of relationships, but there are people in our lives who are actively trying to get us to follow the world. Right. Am I willing to go, yeah, no, no, I can't go that way because I'm loyal to God, all right? So picture this. When you think of loyalty and sacrifice, if you're, if you're married, think about this, okay? If you were standing in front of two people, um, one was your spouse, one was just a random person, and they both were calling you in different directions, okay? If you were loyal to your spouse, you would go in that direction and sacrifice the other, okay? You would say, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with that. I'm following my spouse because I'm loving and loyal to this person, okay? Same as a, as a disciple is sometimes we just kind of leave, we don't sacrifice anything and we get pulled and we have people in our lives who are, who are um, tempting us to just keep following the world, keep... No, 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 be selfish. And, and again, this isn't, this isn't your, your quote-unquote like traditional worldly person. This, this is Christian folks. This is religious people. And we're trying to be worldly. And there's a sacrifice to stop and go, no, I'm loyal to Jesus. And that may cost me something. That may cost me some relationships. That may cost me my reputation. You know what? It's interesting. Boaz, this could have cost his reputation as a man of noble character. All right, could you imagine in town people going, dude, really? Like the little Moabite girl and the old man? Like, golly, he's not really a man of noble character, right? Following God, there was a cost, even possibly to his reputation, right? Um, man, has being a disciple cost you anything financially? In, in a given month, does it cost you anything? financially to help the poor and the foreigner to help brothers and sisters right oftentimes it, you know here's here's the scary thing is we see sacrifice as after i buy everything i want then i will give what's left and that's sacrificial because i could have used that money okay. that's very different than taking it off the front end and saying this is what we're giving, okay? And everything else follows that, okay? Because there are a lot of things in our lives that are not necessities, 
that I feel like are very easy to put ahead of sacrifice, okay? It's really easy to feel like I could not make it without Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, you, you name it, right? We would go, I couldn't make it without that. Like that's a necessity to have these things, right? And again, what I'm, I'm not saying it's bad to have those things. I'm saying though, if, if you're hoarding your money and taking care of you and you can't imagine that you could live life without that, if you're not taking care of people, if you aren't meeting needs of people, and that means financial needs, Okay, but you do have Netflix, you do have Starbucks, you do have like your night to have a little, you know, get together and let's have a drink together and let's do all these kind of things. Listen, understand something that is backwards of sacrificiality. That's taking care. That's everyone doing what they want to do. Okay. Instead of going, no, no, God, what do you want us to do? Because we're loyal to you. And then whatever's left over. Well, we do have to pay for the necessities of rent and food and insurance and these things. And that may mean at the end of our money, we look at it and go, man, I don't get, you know, the entertainment I want. I don't get the things I want. I don't get to go and, and buy the clothes I want. I don't just get everything. And we go, well, why not? Because this is part of being a man and a woman of noble character in terms of God is saying, no, God, I'm loyal to you. All right? And what you tell us to do is to take care of people. And you give us your money to be used that way, right? Um, wow. A couple of other big things. You just think of sacrificiality in our lives as disciples. What about convenience? When was the last time you sacrificed convenience? And that can manifest itself in any number of ways, okay? Um, oftentimes, again, this does go back to how we spend our money. Oftentimes, we spend our money on things that will make things more convenient for us, okay? And so whether that's a new car, whether that's new furniture, whether that's new uh, technology, whatever that is, um, we can pursue convenience above sacrificiality. Okay. And it's really interesting because I remember Jesus saying, man, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And again, that doesn't mean it's bad if you have a bed or furniture or something like that. Um, but it goes back to this idea of if convenience drives us. Okay, that's important. Convenience, comfort. Um, have you sacrificed any sleep lately? For the kingdom, sacrificed any sleep, or is it no? My sleep comes first. And you want to know what me and you have done? Oh man, the world is killing us in this area. Is we are convinced that we have to, unless we have a full, like, man, I need a full eight to ten hours of sleep every single night, or I need a full seven to nine hours of sleep, or I just can't function. That's just not true. That's just not true. You're you're falling for a worldly... Now, here, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying stay up and get three or four hours of sleep every single night, but I think we're so fragile and we want, to, we want so much comfort and all of these kind of things. We're like, man, my sleep comes first. I'm saying, yeah, you want to know what? We do need an amount of sleep, but there are times that we should be inconvenienced as well. There's a time when we should set that aside and say, you know what? This is a better thing to be doing I'll be okay with three or four hours of sleep. I'll be okay. Don't do that all the time. 
But I think our Lord has become our sleep cycle. Okay, and we've and we've put our faith in the power of man. I must get every single night um, this particular amount of sleep, or I can't be faithful. That's just not true. Okay, so again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying yeah, you should just stay up two, three, four hours of sleep. No, no, no. Listen, we must be healthy for sure. All right, but when was the last time you were just inconvenienced? Somebody needed something, it wasn't convenient. There was somebody in need, it wasn't convenient. There was somebody who needed a place to sleep and it just wasn't convenient. There was somebody, there was just things that happened and it just wasn't convenient for you, okay? That's what sacrificiality is all about. It wasn't convenient for Boaz or Ruth either, right? But we have to ask ourselves, is there any, any semblance of sacrificiality to God? Is there any of those things? Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting because um, loyalty and sacrificiality cry out how good God is. All right. When somebody sees another person willing to be inconvenienced for God, when somebody sees somebody make a decision because they're loyal to God, nothing screams out, God is great like that. Okay, nothing does, right? And so you look at this and we're seeing this in the book of Ruth. We're seeing a, a man and a woman of noble character, of moral strength that's expressed in loyalty and sacrificiality that's just begging us to be questioning ourselves, right? To be thinking, man, is, am I like this? Am I like these people? Because here's the deal. They knew less about God than we do. They're living prior to King David. Um, they're living prior to the Psalms being written. They're living prior to prophets, right? They're, we have so much more. Not only that, we have Jesus. We have so much more of the greatness, the grandeur, the majesty of God. We have so much more to inspire us to be deeply convicted about being loyal and sacrificial, right? And again, we've got to keep asking ourselves this question, right? Why would I do this? All right. This isn't just, hey, go do it and be miserable. All right. Under, we've got to understand that. When we read the book of Ruth, hopefully our minds are just blowing up with how great God is. Okay. And you might, you know, we talk about loving God. Some of you, you, you have this like deep emotional feeling and that's like a really good part of who you are, right? That's who you, like you get it, you feel it. Some of you, man, and, and I can relate to this part of it where it's like, man, I don't have all kind of like the gushy feelings and all that kind of stuff. And, and sometimes it's easy to feel like, man, do I have to manufacture those things? Do I have to manufacture a feeling in order to truly love God? No, 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 not at all. Right? It's this understanding of who God is, the awe of God, the trust in God, of seeing God our Father and going, there's no one else I know. There's no one else I've ever seen or heard of that I can trust like I can trust God, that I can be loyal to like I should be loyal to God, that I can sacrifice to because He's so good and He loves me so well, right? And He loves my family and He loves my neighbors and He loves my enemies well, right? I mean, when you put all of the evidence of who God is and especially what we know of Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection. When you take all of that, you have this huge amount of evidence that really we should be asking ourselves the question, why aren't I more loyal? 
Okay. Why isn't this more on the front of my mind? Why, why aren't I more challenged by men and women of noble character? Why, why not? Well, why, why aren't I willing to look at the world and say, yeah, you know what? I can't sacrifice what the world says is important. Like I don't need comfort and convenience and money and all of these things in order to be fulfilled and to make a difference. In fact, it's the opposite. I want, and I know you want this, we want to be available to God. We want to be available to be used by God. And I fear that without an understanding of God's greatness and our loyalty to Him and our sacrificiality to see He gave the greatest sacrifice, all right? And all He's asking me to do is to say, listen, don't buy what the world's selling, okay? Don't fall into the patterns of the world. Don't fall into the philosophies of the world. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and He's just right in front of us going, dude, you can trust me. You can trust me. You can go back and read all of these books in the Bible and just gain more trust. You can read, like we're reading this story of God using a Moabite woman and, and an old Israelite man, and they're coming together to make a future king together, right? So um, we have to always remember, you know, why. And again, man, this is what I love about a book like Ruth. It reminds us that God's story is unfolding, right? God's story is unfolding by the day. God's story is using people. God's story uses flawed people. God's story uses his enemies. God's story uses um, elderly people. God's story. God includes these people who are essentially saying, man, I'm here and available, right? It's not the superstars in the world. It's not the religious, you know, the, the strong religious folks all the time. It's folks who are just going, yeah, God, I'll follow you. Sure, I'll follow you because I trust you and I want to get to know you more, right? People are saying, man, I'm available and we've got to be willing to do that too as God's story is played out because me and you have a place in this story, okay? That story is still being lived out. That story is still unfolding. And, and what that story means for us today is that we live in a way that glorifies God, that we're laying our life down, not simply to get something from God, um, because his good news is so incredible. And his good news of, uh, you know, again, we've got to be able to articulate this, what this good news means. It's, it's not just Jesus died and rose again. There's such an incredibly um, simple message behind that. And it's that simple message that we all really yearn to hear, which when God sent Jesus and Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, God is telling us, and not he's not whispering it, he's yelling it at us, is I'm not forgetting you, right? You're not too far gone. You aren't too lost. Yes, you're a mess, but I'm not leaving you behind, okay? It's not too late, and that's the good news. We've got to hear that over and over again as God, through Jesus, is saying, I didn't forget about you. Okay, And it's so important that we understand that as, as God's story is being played out, we must be able to articulate that as we love people, as we study the Bible with people, as we serve people, as we're inconvenienced, as we give up comfort, as we sacrifice, as we show loyalty to God and how we live. Okay, And so it brings us really to that crossroads of the cross and the resurrection, it brings us right there to the foot of the cross, to the front, to that empty 
cave, right? We've got to be sitting there going, okay, how then will I live my life, all right? As I take communion today, as we sit down and remember this and we fellowship and we talk with one another and, and we discuss, the question that I hope is on our mind is in light of Jesus doing what he did of sacrificing himself, dying, rising again, the power of his resurrection, us standing in front of that empty cave and asking ourselves the question, you know, how will, will I live now? Who am I going to give my loyalty to today? Is it going to be the world and I'm just going to try to make it look very religious? Um, well, you'll be in a large crowd of people. You'll feel like you're doing the right thing because so many people are doing that. Okay. Or are you going to look at your life and go, you know what? Some things have to change. There has to be a difference. It can't be about me any longer. I've got to divorce myself from the drug of convenience and comfort and just getting things from God. And this idea that I can just use the resources God gives me, the money and the time and the things, and just use them for me to go and have a good time and enjoy life. And God is echoing out to us from his empty cave, from that resurrection location. He's saying, guys, listen, you don't have to just take care of you, right? He's saying, hey, trust me, I'm giving you things to help you find your place in my story. Not in a bad way, right? In a really good way. Don't be fooled by the world. There's no comparison here, okay? Um, so hopefully this is helpful. Again, I'm really going to encourage, encourage you guys, go back and reread this afternoon Ruth 1, 2, and 3, okay? This week, read Ruth 1, 2, 3, and 4. Read it a couple times. It's going to take you maybe 20 minutes really short, okay? Um, but really getting this idea of, okay, what's the big picture? What am I learning from God? What do I learn about God? When I, when I look at this, when I read this story, what am I learning about men and women of noble character? All right. And hopefully um, as we're reading that, we're just praying, God, soften my heart. Just please soften my heart. Please do that. Um, I want to be called higher by Boaz. I want to be called higher by Ruth. I want to have this kind of trust, not to just be like them, but I see their loyalty and faith in God. That's what I want to. So hopefully this is helpful. Um, let's go to God in prayer, and then we're going to go ahead and sign off for the day.